Sentire Media. Hello, you. You're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 158, The Este of Ferrara. E non posso più accucciarmi e così ritorno su. Lasci colli nelle valli, tra due salici piangenti. Io ritrovo la speranza di un amore che ormai fu. Before we start, a little shout out to a Patreon supporter and listener, Peter. Peter has a very interesting catering business called Pasta Goth. And it's exactly what it sounds. A goth dude making Italian food from his traditional Calabrian ancestors. So, if you are in the Des Moines, Iowa area, please look him up. You can find him on Instagram at pasta underscore goth. After going round and round and round and round and round Italy, we have made our way out of the Middle Ages following the most important political entities in the country. We have mentioned also minor players in passing, but I feel that the Este of Ferrara deserve particular attention. First of all, because we have mentioned the 1482 War of Ferrara from different viewpoints. Then, because the little corner of Italy I call home, the province of Reggio Emilia, was under the influence of the Este, and as the song states very precisely, it's my party and I'll talk about the Este of Ferrara if I want to. So, let's get to it. The family seems to have a Carolingian origin, with a certain Boniface I being a good buddy of Charlemagne. We can then find them under Alberto Azzo II, who was nominated a judge by Holy Roman Emperor Frederick Barbarossa. It was Azzo who moved the court to the town of Este, around 50 kilometers north of Ferrara, on the other side of the Po River, in the year 1073. He had three sons. The eldest went off to Germany to found a certain little dynasty you may have heard of that would eventually become the Hanover. They now sit on the throne of a certain little country that you also may have heard of, the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. The second son was named Folco, and he stuck around to found the branch that would eventually rule over Ferrara and part of Emilia. Folco's son, Obizzo, would get involved in the whole Guelphs and Ghibellines business. Do you remember all that? Didn't we have fun back then? The story goes as follows. In 1180, the whole Guelphs and Ghibellines conflict was about to get solved in Ferrara, with a marriage between a girl from a Guelph family and a boy from a Ghibelline family. Some of the Guelph faction were having none of this making peace business and kidnapped the girl and handed her over to Obizzo d'Este of the Guelph faction, who married her off to his son, Azzo VI. There had been other Azzos in the middle. After the whole marriage fiasco, the Ghibelline faction did not give up. In particular, one family of the faction, the Salin Guerra. They and the Este would shove each other out of Ferrara ten times before the Este would finally take power. To begin with, however, the Este had to manage a difficult balancing act. 
as judges nominated by the emperor, they owed their loyalty to him. At the same time, as Guelphs, they owed their loyalty to the Pope. Things risked getting rather uncomfortable and awkward when Pope Urban III came for a visit in 1187. Fortunately for the Esther, the Pope was good enough to kick the bucket while he was there, some believe due to heartbreak from hearing about the fall of Jerusalem. This still under Obizo d'Este, the kidnapper of the Guelph girl. Obizo was the first to be known as the Marquis of Ferrara. Not too far along the line at the start of the 13th century, the Este produced a rather interesting character, Aldo Brandino d'Este. His favourite pastime was being a brigand. The guy just really loved stealing stuff. Kind of makes me think of Rocket from Guardians of the Galaxy. He pursued this activity with such enthusiasm that he managed to disrupt the trade routes between Ferrara and the city of Padua. The Paduans ended up getting really annoyed and they decided to declare war on Ferrara and laid siege to the city. That convinced Aldo Brandino to tone it down a little bit. The little scallywag Aldo Brandino ended his days besieging the city of Ancona upon a request from the Pope who felt that Ancona should be part of the Papal States, while Ancona in that moment wasn't too keen on the idea. Aldo Brandino seems to have been poisoned by enemies while on campaign. This was 1215, and upon his death his brother Azzo VII took over, and it was he who would spend 20 years trying to get Ferrara back from the Salinguerra, and the following 24 trying to hold on to it, which he managed to do. It was his son, Obizo II, who got the official seal of approval in 1264 when he was officially elected ruler of the city. Fourteen years later, in 1288, the city of Modena also fell under the dominion of the Este, and one year after that, my own little Emilia, which would remain under the family's control with some breaks for five centuries. This was de facto a continuation of the old position the Este seemed to like getting themselves into. Since they were considered vassals by the Pope for being Marquis of Ferrara and by the Emperors for Modena and Regimilia. Although Orbiza II seemed to have been the saviour of the dynasty, he was not the Messiah, but he was a very naughty boy. He liked to have his way with women, whether the ladies in question were willing or not and this is rumoured to have extended also to his sisters and even aunts. We will have a chance to talk more about the legendary sexual appetites of the Este later. Orbizo II was assassinated in 1293, apparently by his son, Azzo VIII, who ruled until 1308. Upon his death, a succession crisis ensued, and the competing factions brought in the papal forces on one side and Venice on the other. The papal forces won this time. A rebellion against the papal rule soon brought the Este back to power and the popes held a grudge for a few decades until the issue was smoothed out in a very weird sort of way. In 1329, the ruling Este at the time were accused of heresy. That may bring to mind scenes of imprisonment, torture and burning at the stake, but it was not always that way. The Este were forced to do something that perhaps my daughter would consider even worse. Take 
an exam. They were set a sort of religion test, which they managed to pass, and so were awarded the administration of Ferrara officially by the Pope, and they threw a huge doozy of a party for the whole population for days. A sort of student graduation party in a certain sense. They then were left to rule more or less peacefully for a good part of the rest of the century. It was under Niccolò II in 1385 that trouble started to brew again. The year 1385 brought flooding and the consequent bouts of plagues that came with it. Add in a period of high taxation and you have a recipe for disaster and a rebellion ensued. The rebels had done their rebelling 101 exam and they were not aiming their anger at Niccolò, but his minister, Tommaso da Tortona. The Marquis tried to resist, but in the end, he had to give up his minister and handed him over to the angry mob. The minister was ripped apart and his body parts burned on a bonfire that had been lit with accounting books with the tax and debt records in them. His intestines were fed to the dogs and there were even reports of cannibalism, so someone must have been tempted into taking a bite of the bits of minister that were going around. The song Eat the Rich by Aerosmith comes to mind. Nicolò then lowered the taxes and showed his face a bit more around town. Meanwhile, he also slowly and quietly brought soldiers in and started to reinforce the castle. He also learned that the rebellion had been a part of a broader plan to bring back communal-style city-state government. When he had built up enough power and safety, he had the leaders of the rebellion rounded up and condemned to death by being dragged behind galloping horses. After that, he put the taxes back up. The late 14th century wasn't all rebellion and violence, however, for 1391 saw the foundation of a university in Ferrara, which is still considered a prestigious place to study to this day. As the century drew to a close, Niccolò III this time came to power, but due to his young age was put under a regency. In 1395, his claim was challenged by yet another Azzo. To counter this claim, the Regency government called in the help of nearby Bologna. The Bolognese took the lands and money promised from Ferrara, then proceeded to pull out an Azzo lookalike. They beat him badly enough to make him unrecognisable and beheaded the poor guy. Then they handed the head over to the Regency government, saying it was that of Azzo. The wily Azzo then pulled the wool over the Regency's eyes again when he managed to get money from them to raise an army to put down a rebellion for Ferrara, but he ended up using the money to raise an army to attack Ferrara. In the end, the Ferraresi won out, but Azzo still didn't get his just desserts. He finished up his days, dying a natural death on a comfortable pension paid by the government of Ferrara. Luckily, Marquis Nicola overcame the initial embarrassment and would go on to be the first really important member of the Este dynasty on the Italian stage. He reigned for a long time, from 1393 to 1441, bringing a more illuminated approach to government in Ferrara. It wasn't all good government and culture, though, for when hungry peasants were caught poaching on his lands, 
he did not hesitate to have them hung with their catch from the hunting tied to their feet. He also made quick work of an adversary, Ottobono Terzi, from whom he took back Modena and Reggio Emilia, which had been lost. The two met between Reggio Emilia and Modena in a little town called Rubiera, where there is now a really good place for clothes shopping and a multiplex cinema, but that's beside the point. Nicolò, as the parley progressed, had one of his attendants chop Ottobone in half, and that was that. Modena and Reggio Emilia were back in the fold. Perhaps the aspect that Nicolò III was most well known for was his sexual prowess. All you need to do is listen to a common rhyme that was popular at the time. Al di qua e al di là del Po, siamo tutti figli di Nicolò. On this side and that of the Po, we are all children of Nicolò. A chronicler at the time set the number of women the Marquis was supposed to have been with at 800. 800. That is a busy guy. He was not too lucky, on the other hand, with the women he was actually supposed to be with, his wives. He married his first at the age of 13, Gigliola da Carrara. The marriage lasted 22 years. Officially, Gigliola died of plague in 1416. Some instead believe that she was killed by the venereal disease that her husband had picked up from a lover that almost killed him as well. Three years later, he married the 15-year-old Parisina Malatesta. That marriage lasted five years, until Parisina went on a trip to visit her family, and her husband thought it would be a good idea to send his son, Ugo, to accompany her. While we're gossiping, Ugo was the son of Nicolò and one of his favourite lovers, Stella degli Assassini, a cool name meaning Star of the Assassins, who some suspect of having something to do with what happened to Parisina, whom she was jealous of. Anyway, Ugo and Parisina got all friendly, and one thing led to another, and well, you can imagine. Nicolò, who was probably already in the triple digits on lovers, went ballistic and had their heads chopped off. In a fit of drama, he wanted to have both of their heads chopped off on the same block so that their blood would mix in death. Just as his wife was about to have her head chopped off, he tried to call it off, but it was too late. He soon sought consolation by taking up not one, but three new lovers. Nicolò kept on with his sex-crazed yet illuminated government until his death in 1441. In that period, he started up the trend that had been taken on by many rulers of the Italian peninsula, calling in artists and architects to embellish his city, allowing the Renaissance to spread all over. He was succeeded by another illegitimate son he'd had with his favourite lover, star of the assassins, Leonello. He and his brother Borso had been made legitimate by Pope Eugene IV. Leonello oversaw nine years of unprecedented peace, but it was his brother Borso who really ushered in what was seen as a golden age by his subjects. Not only would he read and act upon the petition letters that he received, but he would also walk up and down the square in Ferrara so that his people could approach him with issues to solve. 
he was followed around by a storm of judges, secretaries, and counsellor, so that they could immediately get to work on solving or deciding upon the issue presented. One emblematic case was when a very nervous merchant approached Borso, complaining that he had not been paid by the court of the Marquis himself. Borso answered the merchant by saying something along the lines of, So sue me. But the thing was, he actually meant it. He encouraged the merchant to sue him in court, made sure the judges let the merchant win, and then scolded his secretaries for not paying the man, who ended up getting his money. Borso was also a very careful diplomat, following his personal motto of Torre le rose fuori delle spine, picking the roses without the thorns, which meant that he always sought the most advantageous situation for Ferrara without getting caught up in any conflicts. It was under Borso that the Este became dukes of Modena and Reggio thanks to Holy Roman Emperor Frederick III and dukes of Ferrara thanks to the Pope. Having been made Duke of Ferrara in 1471, he must have thought that he had done enough and decided to die that same year. Another brother, son of the Randy Nicola III, and surprisingly this time from an actual wife, took over. He had a pretty cool name, Ercole, Hercules. He also enjoyed naughty naked parties and other hanky-panky, but he was a bit of a hypocrite about it, since in public he condemned adultery and sexual deviation, also with very public and embarrassing punishments. He had a great love for the theatre and is credited with bringing back an interest in the classical Greek and Roman theatre as an example of the rediscovery of classic art and literature that was such a characteristic element of the Renaissance in general. He also had a great love for music and founded a school in Ferrara that soon started to attract young people from all over Italy. He would take his own singers to church with him in the morning and in the evening, they would be allowed into his bedchamber where they would sing him to sleep, often with the Duke himself joining in. Of course, Ercole was the Duke who ruled when the War of Ferrara broke out in 1482. We've been over it a few times, but just to give you a recap, Venice made a move on Ferrara, who was threatening their salt monopoly and in general was a tasty little morsel from a strategic point of view. Venice was egged on in the venture by the nephew of Pope Sixtus IV, Girolamo Riario, Lord of Forlì. The other Italian powers, Florence, Milan and the Kingdom of Naples, came to the aid of Ferrara. In the end, Venice had to give up its aims on the duchy, but did manage to get a little bit of land for its troubles. On the marriage alliance side, Ercole arranged a marriage between his son Alfonso and a certain Lucrezia Borgia you may have heard of, who would go on to become a beloved Duchess of Ferrara. That, however, is a story for another day. Duke Ercole takes us all the way to 1505, bringing also the Duchy of Ferrara, Modena and Reggio out of the Middle Ages. That is the last trip to the Middle Ages for us in general. We will be doing one more episode on the life of the average Giuseppe and Lucrezia at the time, but the A History of Italy podcast has officially concluded what we could call part one. 
I may take a little break after the next episode due to house renovation work and a surprise for you, my dear listeners, that I am working on. But fear not, I am already on the books for the next phase, which will take us through the 16th and up to the 19th century, and will probably last another five years or so. I have no idea. For now, thank you so much, grazie mille, for listening. Stay tuned for the sketch after the credits and the outro music. In particular, I would like to thank my lovely Patreon supporters, starting with the second half of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, and they are Jeffrey W., John W., Jordan C., Juan Diego, Julia G., Justin E., Old John in Milwaukee, Orlando D., Kevin, Mark, Mary Ann, Marxist-Leninist Sicilian, Mela, Mitrus Porchus, Mike M., Neville, Niels, Paradise, Patricia Kappa, Peter F., Philip B., Rachel, Rocco B., Roberta D., Rod L., Rodney N., Rudy F., Russell, Sandra, Scott L., Sean, Shelby, Stephen, and Tap Dance Down Under. And of course, thank you, thank you to the tippy top Maria Montessori and Dante Ligieri level Paolo, Lisa K., Andrew M., Peter W., David L., Rinat, David C., JW, Sen, David A., Karen, Peter, and Helenka. Thank you, thank you, one and all. And welcome, welcome aboard to new Patreon supporters, Stephen W. and Ross C. Remember, if you wish, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com. You can also get in touch via social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you would like access to extra content and especially ad-free episodes, you can become a Patreon supporter. Just go to the ahistoryofitaly.com website and click through to the support page. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and until next time, arrivederci. you naughty Esther, it's time for you to redeem yourselves and face the trials that await you. Do your worst, priest. We fear no torture, no inquisition will bend the spirit of the house of Esther. Aha! We'll see about that. I hereby sentence you... What, Duak? Red-hot pokers, dragged by horses, we can take it. I hereby sentence you... To take an exam. <gasps> Dear God, you monster! Have you no soul, man? My decision is final. An exam with quills and parchment and everything. No talking for 45 minutes. What? 45 minutes? Is there no end to your cruelty? None of that. It's no mercy for you. The exam will be Friday week, just after breakfast. Next week? But that hardly gives us any time to study at all. Well, you should have thought of that sooner. 
Are you sure we can't just get a little bit of torture? Here, break my fingers. I will not be swayed by your pleas. A nice sound flogging in the public square. A week hanging in a cage. Have mercy! Not an exam. Enough! Ten days later. Psst! What? What did you put for number seven? I put true. Are you sure? That doesn't sound right. We're not allowed to commit adultery. Yeah, sounded weird to me too, but I'm pretty sure I read it in the manual. Oh, crap! There was a manual? Was it that bibble thing you were reading? Yeah, also number 13 is correct. You aren't allowed to eat brats and owls. Really? I like a spot of owl soup now and then. Well, can't it's a sin. I'll have to stick to meat and cheese then. You can't do that either. Exodus 24-19. Gosh, this is complicated. You can get stoned for lots of stuff that's fun. Stop talking, please. Time up. Put down your quills and hand in your parchment. I say, stop writing, please. Hey, stop writing. Oh, right, here you go. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.